watch out now. It's the little one, and I'm not Bow Wow. I've always wanted to say that. At any rate, hello. Welcome back to the Label 1976 podcast. I am your host, True Straub. I know it's been a minute. I know, I know, I know. But if you also know, you know that I do take a break in between seasons. So it was pretty much my little break between seasons. And this is introducing season three, episode one. Now, moving forward with this, I think I'm just going to start going by the number of episodes. So this will be episode 53, even though it's season three, episode one. I know, I'm trying, making things more difficult than they have to be. Such is my life. At any rate, how you guys been doing? It is so much, so much, so much in the news on the catch-up. Let's just go ahead and get into it. If you're listening to this now, go ahead and follow the podcast so that you're aware of any new episodes once they come up. So that you don't have to be looking for them or be reminded of them or or anything like that. I will still uh, start doing these twice a month. So they're going to be bi-weekly. And here and there may have some bonus episodes in between. Uh, if I want to just do some little quick little news updates or something like that that I just really want to jump into, even though that's not really, really what the podcast is about. I try to kind of stay away from social issues, but it's kind of difficult because I have an opinion on any, any and everything. I do. I kind of do have an opinion and I sometimes just want to get on here and just vent it out and just say how I feel. So much, so much going on, but... Let's start with the first most prominent one that's in the news right now is the whole Carly Russell uh, debacle. I'll say debacle and leave it at that. Now, what I won't do and what I what I won't do is come on and bash her. I'm not going to do that. Um, I think that she's been bashed enough. And regardless, in my opinion, she was missing. It was a missing person. So I'm not going to be one of those people that say I wasted a prayer. I think that's so distasteful to say that you wasted a prayer on praying for someone's safe return and that nothing has nothing bad has happened to her. I don't know where people get off. It's kind of it's kind of messed up because I feel like with social media these days, people love humiliating people. So it's a kind of like you already kind of ruined your life. Let me stop with the kind of you've ruined your life to a certain point at this point. Um, I don't think her parents were anywhere near it. I think they were sincere, very sincere, because I felt that definitely with her mom and her stepfather. You know, she may have some mental issues. It may be anything. We don't know her. No one personally knows her unless you personally know her. My thing is that everyone is saying, oh, this is going to make them stop looking for black women you know, not take it seriously, blah, blah, blah. They weren't looking like that in the first place. Like, let's keep it really real. <laughs> like, wh- what is that to say? And why is everybody using the same things? Like, they're not going to be looking for us anymore. Or they're not going to be taking it seriously. Or they're going to feel like it's a runaway. All these things already happen. All these things already happen. There's still 65,000 black women still missing. All the energy that everybody wants to put in on humiliating this woman and having all these live TikToks and everybody is a, a news anchor for CNN now. All of a sudden, put all of that, take all of that and put it into all of these young women that are still missing. You know, everybody's saying that, oh, well... The money could have gone uh, to people that were really missing and blah, blah. Okay, if it could have, the money that was there previous to her going missing, were they using it to find young little black girls? No. 
They weren't. If they are, it's on the low. It's not on the news. Maybe, maybe, uh, you know, real help moves in silence. I don't know. Who am I to say? I don't work for the police department. But what I will say is it just, it's very disheartening when I get on and I see that I don't even, I've unfollowed so many people off of social media. That's why I really try not to stay on it so much. But in getting information or trying to gather topics, I'm going to be on it, you know, and then also to promote my podcast, I'm going to be on it. I'm going to see these things. So it's, it's almost, it almost just became infuriating. I'm just like, everybody is, and, and I understand everybody has an opinion. They're like, you know, booty holes. Everybody has one. I get it. But it's just like the constant humiliation, the constant, where's she going? The constant memes, the little funny skits, the everybody it's just it's so much it's so much like this young lady is probably not going to be able to get a job um nowhere in uh, alabama you know what i'm saying like she's not going to be able to go into nursing anymore um they have the whole thing on the news about her allegedly stealing a robe and some toilet tissue i don't know what that has to do with the price of tea in china and why they're putting all her personal business out there like that if she did or if she didn't whatever the whole point was someone went missing. That's what we did is pretty much get all our prayers together. She was found safely, walked home safely, got a ride safely, whatever it is, whatever the case may be. I'm just glad that she's not dead. It's almost like people wanted the harm to come or something to feel like it was real, regardless if she would have came, if she would have came back like she did. And if it really did happen, not, not I'm not still not saying that it didn't. If it really did happen, then it still was going to be an interrogation. There still was going to be questions. It's, someone was still going to have to answer the questions. She was still going to have to be interviewed and answer these questions. You know what I'm saying? And if they bring charges against her and find that it's not enough evidence to say that, hey, you really were abducted, it's like they would have already arrested her if they felt like she was lying. If there's no proof, you don't have anything to go with. That's that's why she's not under arrest. And it's actually accounts saying, I mean, like to this to today, <laughs> put her under arrest. Do something about it. She needs to go to arrest. Blah blah. Let me tell you something, cause I do do my research. Let me tell you something. There was this young lady, well, this whole grown woman, not young lady, whole grown woman. Excuse my background. Uh, her name was Sherry. Papini. She was Caucasian. It was a kidnapping hoax. So she's a, she pretty much disappeared November 2nd of 2016. Reportedly while she was out jogging a mile from her home in Redding, California. She was 34 years old at the time. She reappeared three weeks later on Thanksgiving day, November 24th, having been reportedly freed by her captors at 430 that morning, still wearing restraints on the side of County Road 17 near Interstate 5 in Yolo County, about 150 miles south of where she disappeared. Now, this happened and the case like garnered all this major media attention. I, for some reason, do not remember it at all. But when I went digging to see if this has ever happened before, if, if anyone um, had ever probably faked their disappearance or uh, faked an abduction or just anything of that nature, she came up off top. 
So the case like got media attention. And then in August of 2020, she stood by her story when she was questioned by a federal agent and a detective from the Chasta County Sheriff's Office. Now, this is in California. So despite being advised that it was a crime to lie to a federal agent, Papanini was charged with mail fraud as she received over 30000 from the California Victim Compensation Board between 2017 and 2021. On March 3rd of 2022, Papanini was arrested on charges making false statements to the federal law enforcement officers and for mail fraud, according to the Department of Justice. Um, so yeah, it was just stated that she fabricated the story of her abduction. She had reportedly been staying with a former boyfriend during the time she was supposedly missing and had harmed herself in order to give credence to her lies. She stated that two Hispanic women had actually kidnapped her. She had two Hispanic women, like they, they had, she had the police department on the lookout for two Spanish women. She said she was held by two Hispanic women who took steps to keep their faces hidden from her, either by mask or, or be, by keeping her head covered. She was branded on her right shoulder during captivity, but um, details of what the brand included have never been revealed. When the actual investigators questioned Sherry at a later date, she claimed that it looked like a verse from the book of um, Exodus, but she didn't provide any solid evidence behind this vague claim. So according to a statement by her husband, that she was trying to get away from, I guess, since she was staying with the boyfriend during the time she was gone, um, Keith P Panini, if that's wrong pronunciation, when you guys look it up, pronounce it how you want to. But it's P-A-P-I-N-I. -I. I just keep just thinking about a panini. So I'm going to say Papanini. But according, according to her husband, Keith, Sherry was physically abused during her captivity. She had her nose broken and her hair cut off and weighed 87 pounds when she was released. She went, she went the uh, Oscar nomination way. So at the time, the sheriff said it was still an active investigation and authorities were looking for a dark colored SUV with two Hispanic females armed with a handgun. So yeah, as far as her, she actually was sentenced to jail in, I want to say she was sentenced to jail, yeah, 2022. So March 9th, 2022, uh, she was released for right before her trial on a $120,000 bond and she had to surrender her passport. So her and her lawyer had no comment on the allegations. She faced up to 25 years in prison between the charges of mail fraud and lying to a federal officer. However, six weeks after her arrest, she signed a plea deal admitting that she orchestrated the hoax. So in September of 2022, she was sentenced to 18 months in prison and fined $300,000. So pff, that's correct. That's a lot. That's what happens whenever you lie to the federal government. Until someone brings forward an interrogation to, to where Carly is going to be questioned by the federal government, I hope she doesn't lie to them. That's when we will know all the, the truth of everything. Until then, I give her the benefit of, doubt, of the doubt, but still I stand by. I don't take any prayers back, and I'm just glad that she's all right. What happens from this point on, I'm sure they'll keep us abreast of. I'm sure, because it seems like they're giving us um, a lot of details uh, from the police department. So that's all I had to say about that. If you have any comments or anything, or you want it with lean, <laughs> you can email me at label976 at gmail.com. You'd need to spell out the nine, seven, and the six, just in case you forgot. Oh, I should have said two more things. So wait a minute.
so I get it. Like, don't get me wrong. I get it that we don't want to look bad as a people. I definitely get it. I don't like to be embarrassed. I don't like to even be embarrassed in my everyday life. Like anytime at work, at play, uh, at the grocery store, anything. I just don't, I don't like to look bad. I don't like to be embarrassed. It's, it's embarrassing, you know, but we have to get out of this whole mindset that one person makes the whole race look bad or something like that. We don't, everybody doesn't view it that way. Everybody is not looking at us that way. That one person makes everybody a liar. If in fact she was lying, you know what I'm saying? Like we have to really get out of that because no other race really takes the brute of what somebody else did and feels like the whole race feels like they're not gonna believe us we gotta get out of that mentality you know we can say all day long that we're a whole this is we're we're a whole you know we're a unit and blah blah when we're not even unified then you know then to top it all off your own people are beating you down and on the internet it's like when i was looking at it we were the main ones beating this girl down so which one is it you care or you only care when you feel like you should care. And then once the floodgates are open where you don't feel like you should care anymore and she might be lying, you just like, ah, get her. What it is, then it becomes a witch hunt. So which one is it? Do you care or do you not care? You know, we have to, we, I just really had to say that. They, one monkey didn't stop no show at Sherry Papini. It didn't. They still look for Caucasian women freebrandly. Believe me. And we all know that. We're putting out there that we know it's going to make us look bad. If she did lie or anything, then maybe that's what will come. We got to stop doing that. But as much as we went into it and everybody was praying for her and everybody was, was concerned and in an uproar and making people get up and do something, it should be that way for all of our loved ones, all the women that go missing, all the black men that go missing, all the kids that they're just snatching don't nobody know where these kids are that's kids of any nationality ethnicity so i just needed to say that okay i'm off my soapbox told you i've been gone for a minute got a lot to say for my things you possibly perhaps didn't know i chose something that i i kind of heard about before but heard about it again in more depth when i'm going down my tiktok hole just laying in bed looking crazy and so this came across my feed and the term is alligator bait. Now, I'm sure some of my listeners have probably already heard of this before, but alligator bait, if you don't know, is uh, depicting African-American children as alligator bait was a common trope in American popular culture in the 19th and 20th centuries. The Montauk was present in a wide, array, a wide array of media, including newspaper reports, songs, sheet music, and visual art. They actually have, you can go on Google, um, they actually have pictures of like a, allig a live alligator, it looks like a painting, live alligator and have three little babies uh, sitting on the actual shore, like right by the alligator. And pretty much the alligators... Um, weren't alligator meat was like a big big deal back in the day in florida and this is so crazy because it all goes into what's going on now in florida 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 they were in visual arts it's also an urban legend claiming that black children or infants were in fact used as bait to lure alligators although there's no meaningful evidence that children of any race were ever used for this purpose uh, i don't believe it 
Um, I don't believe that they weren't. So um, in American slang, alligator bait is a racial slur for African-Americans. Yeah, in popular culture, black children were commonly used as bait for hunting alligators, which are one of the central apex predators of the folklore of the United States, along with cougars, bears, and wolves. The reason for dubbing black babies alligator bait are unknown, but the identification may be a consequence of earlier associations of African crocodiles, a relative of American alligators, with Africa and its people. Gators largely live in the swamplands of the southern United States, Florida, uh, Louisiana, uh, yeah, which were one place people um, escaping enslavement hid to evade capture. According to popular legend, enslaved people who disappeared in swamps may have been killed by alligators. Children were understood as particularly vulnerable to attacks by alligators, and that identification may have evolved into the bait image. Alligator lore draws from a shared dread of these reptilian creatures that come out of the water to eat dogs and children. So, even more, the alligator bait image is a subtype of the racist Piccaninny caricature and stereotype of black children where they were represented almost unhuman, filthy, unlovable, unkept, unsupervised, and dispensable. In the 19th and 20th century, American popular media stereotyped Depictions of black children were common. Black children in popular media had wide, toothy grins, rolling white eyes, shiny dark faces, and uncontrollably kinky hair. Supportive props included watermelon, bales of cotton, and alligators. The more vicious scenes devalued black children's lives to the extent that entrepreneurs claimed they were dainty morsels, free lunches, or gator bait for carnivorous reptiles. That excerpt was from Wilma King's book, African American Childhoods. Back in those days, they used, they put, basically printed black babies luring alligators, were printed on companies like Underwood and Underwood on postcards, cigar boxes, sheet music covers, films, and paintings. They just had them everywhere. There was this one collage of this painting, it was titled Alligator Bait. It was from 1897, and it was a collage of nine African-American babies. They were posed on a sandy bayou, and it was suggested by a hardware store employee in Knoxville, Tennessee, as part of a naming contest with a cash prize. By the 19 by 1900, the photo has sold 11,000 11,000 copies and bought in 5,000 U.S. dollars. Um, about 175. Yeah, about $175,000 value now in 2022. Take a gander if you like. Look it up. Um, so, yeah, that is the end of my things you possibly perhaps didn't know. We're going to move on from this subject. I hope you learned something. For my label 1976 movie review, I want to talk about The Clock. The Clock is on Hulu. Now, this is a movie that I stumbled upon. Um, great acting. I don't know. The main character in it, I've seen her in something before, but she's not like, her name escapes me. So, at any rate, I'm going to try not to um, give too much away when I do these movie reviews because I sometimes can be over-detailed in explaining it. But the synopsis of the movie pretty much is that this woman goes in this clinical trial to 
fix pretty much goes to this clinical trial uh, to try and fix her um, seemingly broken biological clock after friends, family, and society pressure her into trying to have kids. She initially stated that she didn't want to have any kids. Her and her husband were good with it. They lived this wonderful, beautiful, cosmopolitan, uh, in the hills life. Like she's a designer. He's a doctor. It's beautiful. The house is banging. Everything. Like I have everything going for them. But uh, she's from a Jewish family. And her father was really, really big on her continuing the bloodline. So, um, she just starts thinking about it and people just get it in her head and she goes to this clinical trial and it's just a roller coaster from there. Now I will say that it's, um, it's like a psychological thriller, which I love those. It's like, I enjoy that genre, that and horror, um, and comedy, some of everything, but really psychological thrillers are up, it's up there, like number one almost because they make you think. And they also, these movies these days are coming out to where there's something almost devious. And I love the fact that in this movie, you don't know until the complete end when it comes full circle. And you're like, what? That's crazy. Because it just, it just go, it flows. And you're kind of just like, something is going on. Like, I, you can't figure it out. And I love those because it's, I feel like a lot of movies have been predictable previously and like now it seems like new directors are coming and I kind of hate that they're on strike now because we're not going to be getting anything new, but I definitely stand with the writers and the actors because they need to have health insurance and, and start and really get paid what they're worth and not just a couple of A-list actors that don't speak out on behalf of the other actors that are going through. Um, so can't be mad about them striking, but this is great writing. The movie is pretty good. So I definitely beseech you to watch the clock on Hulu. You won't be disappointed. For my topic on this episode, I wanted to speak about Michigan mother, a Michigan mother who killed her two children, stored their bodies in a deep freezer. Her name was Michelle Blair. Some of you guys may have heard of her before and some of you may have not. I personally did not hear um, about her at all until probably like a month ago, but the story like really haunted me. So I needed to talk about it because I don't know if a lot of people know about it. I saw it on the ID channel under uh, Evil Lives Here. And usually on the show Evil Lives Here, there are uh, people that were affected by their loved ones being these monstrous people, these monstrous killers or psychopaths or just narcissists, but they always end up being a killer some kind of way. This one in particular, the young lady that was giving the story on Evil Lives Here is her, one of her surviving children. So Michelle Blair, she presented herself as a loving mother of four to the outside world, but behind the walls of her Detroit apartment, she brutally tortured and killed her two, um, two children two of her children. Her two surviving children told the agents at Wayne County Juvenile Court, Juvenile Court that she pretty much just tortured them. She would beat all of them. So let me kind of, let me go off the dome first and then I can give you some schematics of it. So basically there were four children and you can tell that Michelle Blair is very disturbed. She had a rough childhood. She was sexually molested, raped by one of the neighborhood, uh, the one, one of the women in the neighborhood that was cool with her mother. 
And her mother, when she got a little bit older, had gotten, uh, she had had like several small strokes. So she wasn't even able to fully talk or really take care of herself. But prior to that is, I think, when the molestation was happening to Michelle Blair. So I watched like several different YouTube videos today on Michelle Blair to keep it fresh in the front of my mind for this episode. But just in watching the videos, I hadn't seen the videos that I saw. I never saw the mother's side. She is a piece of work, I will definitely say. And she's uh, very, ooh, she give you, she definitely give you Debo from Friday. If you want to put it in woman form, she gives you Baby D from, uh, yeah, for what, Friday part two, Baby D when Lady of Rage played that role. Yeah, she definitely gives you that. Definitely don't mess with her, but I'm sure she's no taller than me. Um, but her presence is, like, huge. Like, she looked like, you know, she looked like a killer. You know, I ain't no killer, but don't push me. But she looked like if you push her, if you touch her, if you step on her shoe, you're getting choked out right there. Put to sleep. Night-night. That's it. She just gives you this menacing demeanor. It's, it's, cra it's crazy. And we're going to come back to her with her videos, with, with what I've, I've seen today. So as far as the Evil Lives Here episode, the daughter starts from, it pretty much starts from the killings. So the daughter builds the story on how she would just, they would be sitting down watching TV and uh, if she would laugh, if the daughter, the this is the oldest daughter. So the oldest daughter now, I want to say she's 19. Back then when everything was happening, she was like, I want to say 12, 13. And then her siblings, um, the little one, he was probably about three or four. And then you have Steven, the one that was um, a little older. He was probably like nine. And then you have Stormy, which she was, I want to say, 12. And then you have the Otis, which is the one, I again, given the interview, she was probably like 14. Let's say that. Okay, just roundabout. Because on the show... I'm only guesstimating because they don't really give that information fully in any of the articles that I saw. So the show basically shows you that, you know, they could just be sitting on the on the couch watching TV. And if the oldest would like laugh at something that the mother didn't laugh at, the mother would turn and be like, what are you laughing at? And she'll say, that was funny. And then the mother's like, okay, if that's so funny... And I didn't tell you to speak. Get up and go stand in the corner and stand there. And you better not move until I tell you to move. So she said she would make them stand up for like two hours. Just stand up on the wall. In that, you know, when you were in PE and you had to sit like you're sitting in a chair. Make them stand up two hours like that. And if they cried or if they moved, that she would beat them. Pretty much. So it's a house of terror. She would beat them. And uh, she would just do just horrendous things just beat him for no reason beat him because she's mad beat him because one of her boyfriends didn't come over that night just just beat him and that they all four were scared of her so one day she comes home and she sees the little one playing with his two gi joe dolls and she sees him do so and they're both male dolls and she sees the little boy take the dolls and put one on top of the other so she goes over to the little boy and she's Hey, where did you learn that from? And he says, nobody. Again, he's like three or four. He doesn't know how to... I don't even think they said he was even saying full sentences at that point. Um, so she's just like, no, tell me. who Did somebody touch No, mom, just playing my toys. She's like, somebody touch you, better tell me, you better tell me. And all the other kids are in the room. And they're all afraid of her. 
they're all very deeply frightened of this, of their mother. So they're all just sitting there quiet, looking at her. Why is she trying to push him to say something? So, you know, if anybody knows, little children, they always want to be on your side when they're toddlers like that, when they're, when they're that age. So if they see that something will make you happy by saying something, they're going to say what you want them to say. Everybody pretty much knows that. So she kept pressing them, pressing them for like five minutes. Who touched you? Did Steven touch you? Did Stormy touch you? Did your older sister touch you? Did somebody touch you? Who showed you that? Who did that? And she's, did Steven do it? Did Steven do it? And kept pointing at Steven, the second, the second little boy. And so till he, till the little boy finally says, yeah, he touched me. That was the end of that second child's life. So she takes him upstairs. She tortures him for two weeks, y'all. Two weeks upstairs. The other kids never saw him. She just, you would just hear her beating him every two hours. She'll come downstairs, get some water, watch some TV or whatever, go back upstairs and just be beating him. This went on for two weeks. So she ultimately ended his life by uh, tying a belt around his neck and throwing hot, hot water on him while he was in the shower and putting a plastic bag over his head. On the show, after this point, they show the older sister come in because the mother calls her in and says say goodbye to your brother so she said she didn't really understand what was fully going on and why she's saying goodbye but that Stephen was like shaking and he was cold and stuff and that she kissed him on the cheek and it's goodbye Stephen, and that's when he took his last breath then the mother made her help her carry the little boy into a deep freezer that was in the basement wrap plastic around him and put him in the freaking freezer he stays in that freezer. He would end up staying in that freezer for two years. They're still living in that house. The older the older daughter is mortified, terrified of her mom. This could happen to me. This could happen to me. You know, thinking that the whole time. So time goes by and they're slowly starting to live again and just be in the house on the top floor. So the mother comes home one day, probably like nine months go by. Mother comes home one day again. The little boy, I want to say his name is Michael. She's asking him again, like, has everything been good? Has anybody been touching you or anything? He's just, no, mom, no, blah, blah. And she's just, are you sure Stormy's not touching you? Meaning the other little girl. And he's, no, nobody's touching me. Nothing's happened. She's like, are you sure? Because I'll do, you know, I protect mine. I won't, I'm not going to let anybody touch my kids and blah, blah, and all of this. So he's just like, no, no. She's like, are you sure? And then he says, yes, I'm sure. Are you sure? Again, pushed him again. And then he says, yes, she's been touching me too. She commences to do the same thing to the little girl that she did to the little boy that's, our, that's in the freezer. So except for the little girl, she was straight up just boxing her, punching her in the face, choking her out, pulling out her hair. She said every time she thought about it, she would just go and just hit her again. Anytime she would go ask the little boy, did she do this? Like giving him ideas of what she felt like somebody would do if they were raping you kind of thing. And then he's just like, yeah, she did that. And then she would go and be like, okay. And then showing him, this is what your mom is doing for you, for you. Complete psychopath. So she ends up, finally, the little girl, she hits her with a two by four in the head, tells the older sister to come help her take her to the freezer. Goes down, takes her to the freezer. They wrap her up. The only thing is, Stormy, what, she wasn't dead. She wasn't fully dead. And so the older daughter is just, I have to live the rest of my life knowing that she was not fully dead. Like she froze to death in that freezer. 
the mother moves the freezer to the living room in the house because the house was getting so piled up that they had nowhere else to put the put the freezer so she said every day she would just be living in horror living in fear that her mother was going to do the same to her i'm thinking the whole time i'm watching it oh my god how can you not think that one day she's going to ask him have you been touching him or something like that like how can you not tell somebody at school she took the the other two two children out of school it had been two years since anyone noticed they were being homeschooled this is in the actual yeah detroit michigan public school system nobody even noticed and she the oldest daughter never told anybody i would have been at that school so fast <laughs> like uh-uh or i would have just ran away but she never did she said every time that she would even think about it that her mother would be like, you know, you need to come home because if you don't come home, I'm going to kill your uh, other, your remaining brother. So she would always just make her feel bad and just hold this thing over her head with, with, hey, you know, I'll do it because I've done it before. So yeah, that pretty much is what the show, how the show goes. So she ends up going to court and they, they pretty much, she couldn't pay her rent. So they ended up doing an eviction notice. When they did the eviction notice, um, she didn't really think that it was going to happen. So she hadn't paid rent in like over a year. They come and they come to evict her with the sheriff and everything. And so then she's just give me give me a few minutes, give me some time, blah, blah, blah. So she goes and talks to her daughter and it's just like, you know, I'm going to go ahead and just let them go ahead and kick us out. And I did the best I could as a mother. She gets arrested goes to jail and they find the two bodies in the freezer they take the daughter's statement and everything and she's facing first degree child abuse in charge of committing first degree uh, murder and that only carries up to life in prison in Michigan there is no death penalty because I'm sorry I believe an eye for eye especially with this you're messing with kids it's that's crazy she had no remorse none at all so going back to her from her videos and everything you can tell like she's in there like telling the judge that oh the daughter you know she raped my son she raped my son I did that for my son and my mother knew that I was being raped and molested and this woman is still walking around the neighborhood I felt like a laughing stock my mother wouldn't do anything about it and I just always said that I would always protect my kids and I protected Michael I protected him it's like he was her favorite child you could so tell that and she's just like they both were taking turns raping him and they were putting underwear and stuff up his you know and all of that stuff and that the daughter would take a maxi pad and wrench it out over his face like all kinds of she was making up so many different things in court it was great I have no idea how that judge sat there and listened to all of it because I had to turn it off at a certain point and I'm gonna put those links actually in my description so you guys can can look at it but it's just the craziest story they said that they had to keep her separated now in prison because she's been throwing feces at the guards she's been throwing urine out of her food slot um that she's attacked several other prisoners like she has no usually when people go to jail for killing kids they get jacked up somebody takes them down or something she's not going down it's like they're scared of her that's how relentless and like such a 
that's like who she is. I'm t I beseech you to watch the videos if you're interested. But she is not to be played with like at all. It's she has so much anger from her childhood. It's crazy, but it's like that childhood trauma. That stuff is real. That's what I I took from this. But then also, nope. That's she just kept trying to make an excuse for why she did it and no remorse for it. She feels like both of her children were monsters that she took off this earth and that they both deserved it. And even to this day, she called in on some podcast. Um, I was looking at a little video about that. Called in on some podcast and was just saying that she saw the Evil Lives Here episode and was saying that, you know, she was just sorry to her daughter, that she couldn't uh, be a better mother and that she was just angry all the time. And she was like, you know, I'm really, really sorry. I don't want to talk to nobody really I just want to live out my life and die in here I don't want to talk to anybody but you need to stop lying on your brother you know he was raped she just goes in again there's no remorse there's no nothing and you can tell that the daughter has nothing to do with her so the daughter was adopted by her great aunt and uncle and has gone on to school she graduated at 19 from high school and then She's gone on to secondary uh, education, but I'm not sure where. But from the ex episode, she looks like she's she's a pretty girl. She's living her life, but, you know, she's forever jacked up. And then with Michael, the little boy, well, at that time he was a little boy, he said that none of that stuff ever happened. They're, they're all denying that anything ever happened and that there were no rapes to him. Nobody ever touched him. So... It's just a sad thing all the way around for the children, for the children. So I'm going to put links again in the description so that you can look it up if you'd like to. But right, her name is Michelle Blair and this is from Detroit, Michigan. And yep, she's doing life for killing her two children. Moving on into something uplifting. My label 1976 music spotlight goes to Nat King Cole. I know, I went all the way back for that. But I do want to do Nat King Cole because it's one of my aunt's favorite artists. She loves his Christmas music. And then also her birthday is this month. So happy birthday. I love you. So Nathaniel Adams Coles. He was born March 17th, 1919, and he passed on February 15th, 1965. He's known professionally as Nat King Cole. He was a singer, jazz pianist, and actor. His career as a jazz and pop vocalist started in the late 1930s and spanned almost three decades, where he found success and recorded over 100 songs that became hits on the pop charts. I just want to say this was a beautiful chocolate man. He was, and of course, his daughter was beautiful as well. Rest her soul and rest his, of course. Um, he received numerous accolades, including a star on the Hollywood Walk of Fame and a Special Achievement Golden Globe Award. Um, after his death, he received a Grammy Lifetime Achievement Award in 1990, along with the Sammy uh, Khan Lifetime Achievement Award in 1992. He's inducted into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame and uh, the National Rhythm and Blues Hall of Fame. Um, he started out as a jazz pianist in the late 1930s, where he formed, first he was in uh, the King Cole tri Trio, which was his band, which became a top-selling group and the only black act on Capitol Records in the 1940s. Uh, his trio was the model, model for jazz ensembles that followed. You know, everything starts with jazz. It really does. I, I love jazz now. 
since the direction of music is going in what it's going in I'm kind of just been chilling listening to jazz more there are a lot of jazz artists if if some people don't know Anita Baker actually started out as jazz and they just placed her in the R&B category but she was a jazz artist At any rate uh, while not a major vocal public figure in the civil rights movement he was a member of his local NAACP branch and participated in the 1963 March on Washington. He regularly performed for civil rights organizations from 1956 to 1957. He hosted the NBC variety series, The Nat King Cole Show, which became the first nationally broadcast television show hosted by an African-American. He was doing the most, love it. Some of his most notable singles include Unforgettable, and of course we can't forget that, no pun intended, Smile, uh, love, When I Fall in Love, Let There Be Love, Mona Lisa, Autumn Leaves, which is truly my favorite song of his, Stardust, Straighten Up and Fly Right, The Very Thought of You, that's the second one, that's a wedding song, actually, or a ceremony song, For Sentimental Reasons, Embraceable You, and Almost Like Being in Love. He's also known, as I stated earlier, for his Christmas album, The Magic of Christmas, that was in 1960. That included the very notable Christmas song, and it was named in 1999 by Rolling Stone as one of the greatest Christmas albums of all time. And it is. It makes you feel like warm, hot chocolate, and just like you getting everything that you wanted that year. That album just it, it's, it's happiness in a mug. But yeah, I can go on and on about Nat King Cole. I won't. Because I think this episode has been very, very long. I had so much to get out. I thank you guys for listening. I really do. I appreciate it. This will be every other Thursday, as I stated initially. It's going to be bi-weekly. So every other Thursday, I'm going to keep my Thursdays and I'm going to keep my word as well. And please follow the podcast wherever you listen to your podcast. I'm on that platform. Woo! Thank you. Thank you for the listens. If you enjoy what you hear, tell your friends, tell your mother, tell your daddy, tell your family, tell whoever, your boss, your co-worker, whoever. I hope to be an easy listen. You can also follow me on all the socials. On Instagram, you can follow me at true underscore Straub. On Facebook, you can follow me at true Straub. And also on Instagram, I'm under true, you can find me under True Straub or Label1976. So yeah, and I'm also on Twitter under uh, True Straub. And also, if you'd like to reach out to me and email me, you can email me at label, and you gotta spell out the 976 at gmail.com. I'm always open to feedback. I love dialogue back and forth. So in between time and in the meantime, please remember, it's good to be loved, but profound to be understood.